Hello, everybody. Welcome. Hey. Dad, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome to another episode of the Data Engineering Show. Before we start, I don't know how much time will pass since this will be published. So if you're listening to this, probably like a few weeks have passed since we recorded it. But I did want to send out our support to our Ukrainian friends uh, at Firebolt and to all of the Ukrainian people with that situation that's out there. Um, and yeah, we just wanted to to send out our support. Uh, and now we can uh, dive in. Uh, today with us is Jens Larsen, head of analytics at Arc Capital. Jens has quite a background in analytics in general. He spent his initial years doing analytics at Google. Google was too big for him. He moved to Spotify, which is a little bit smaller. Spent a few years there doing analytics, then moved to FinTech uh, in Sweden, in Stockholm, which is uh, where he stayed and uh, recently moved to a, a startup, which is called Arc Capital, doing exciting stuff with analytics. Uh, how are you, Jens? Uh, hey, guys. I'm, I'm doing really, really good. Yeah. Did I miss anything about your uh, story? Oh, I mean, if you, if by story you mean st- where, where I've worked, no, I don't think you missed anything. I, I haven't moved around that much. Um, but yeah, that, that that's about my story. I'm from I'm from an industrial town, Western Sweden, and studied engineering and business. Uh, got my first job at Google in 2011. Moved to Dublin, which which was exciting. Uh, moved back to Sweden, did Spotify, just like you said. Um, then Tink, uh, who recently were acquired by Visa, and now Arc Capital. Uh, and I think I've more or less 10 x downwards in size every time I've transitioned companies. So ne- next time I join another company, we'll be like 0.2 employees or something like that. And it's also with the pandemic, you, it seems like you're working from home. It seems like you're getting more secluded from society over time. Jens, I'm starting to be worried. What's wrong? <laughs> no, no that's, that's very much true. Though I have to say, since I joined ARC in November, I've spent actually most of my days in the office. It's just so nice to be around, you know, good, fun people. Uh, and I've, I've truly missed that over the last two years. How did you get into analytics uh, to begin with? I, I, I think I, it started out at Google. We were do, working with customers doing kind of sales support, blogging and stuff to essentially help the AdWords business. And I, I guess I just had a knack for analytics and somehow was transferred into a local analytics team doing analyzing the performance of our sales teams, analyzing the performance of our ads customers and so on, trying to optimize the way we, we sold ads at Google. Um, I was, of course, super exciting. And not so much maybe the problems we were solving, but the people I got to work with and that data stack. I, I don't think it, it uh, occurred to me at the time. I was fairly junior, uh, but and it was my first job. But what Google had already back then in 2011, 2012, must have taken me six or seven years before I got to experience anything like that again somewhere else. Let's talk about that. So how, how was Google as, as a school for becoming uh, you know, a data person? Well, tell us about that stack a little bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're talking 2012, roughly, right? So, so Google has, you know, the, you know, MapReduce and all of that is, is already 10 years behind Google or something. But uh, uh, basically, I started out with a bunch of these patterns that people are talking about just now in terms of let's do uh, ELT, let's load all our data into a big data warehouse and do transformations in SQL. Um, and 
I never realized how revolutionary that was because that's the way I've always worked with data. Like the data stack at Google back then, it was all loaded into, into some distributed uh, file systems uh, and queried through a tool. I think it was called Tenzing. It's, I think it's equivalent to Hive uh, that was eventually open sourced off the back of it. While I was there, they were starting to roll out Dremel internally, uh, which eventually would become BigQuery, I guess. And I just remember being blown away by the speed. Uh, like the, the, you know, we went from, the, the, everyone has this story, right, about how, how you start a query across gigs or terabytes of data, and then you go get a cup of coffee and you come back to see if it's done. And we did that transition there back in 2012 or something like that. It was fun um, transitioning, rewriting queries from the Tensing dialect to BigQuery. It took a lot of time. It was a lot of headache. I remember Dremel, when it came, it didn't support joins. Uh, then eventually it started supporting joins, but you could only have one join in each query. You know, it's, it, it was quite painful, but you, the reward was, was the speed you got in return. Interesting to think, back then, did data engineering exist? What kind of, what kind of positions were out, you know, around analytics that helped? the end-to-end uh, data flow? Uh, I'd never heard about anyone calling themselves a data engineer back then, right? We were, we were part of the Google sales and marketing organization. Uh, I don't think there weren't many engineers on the payroll in that part of the company. Um, to me, you know, raw data magically appeared in a, in a bucket somewhere in a file system. And then I would write all my queries in SQL. I would uh, schedule it through the, the SQL UI uh, and I would power some internal dashboarding tool off, off the back of that as well, all end-to-end, essentially. On the other end, there's somebody sitting and saying, how ungrateful are these people? They get the data into a bucket. And they think it's just, he just magically... Did he have a mustache? Did he have a mustache? So so how many years did you spend at Google? Uh, I think it turned out to be like three and a half or something, four maybe. And then you moved to Spotify. Tell us about that. So what, uh, what did you start? What did you do there? Yeah, so I moved to Spotify. And side note, the, the VP of analytics at Spotify when I started is actually my current manager. So that's, if we skip ahead a little bit on the story, that's why I am at Arc Capital today. But going back to 2014, I joined Spotify um, into their rel- still relatively small and unproven analytics team. Uh, we were responsible for everything from you know, ca- calculating the royalty payouts that went out to customers or to, sorry, to artists and labels, uh, all the way to understanding how people were you know, I- I- doing product analytics, really understanding how people were interacting with the application, to trying what I spent most of my time understanding, how, how people were... Uh, you know, using the free product and eventually upgrading to the premium tier and see what can we do to get more people to upgrade and what, what different products or product offerings do we need to offer in order to have that. Because this is back in 2014, Spotify just gone live in the US, I believe, or recently gone live in the US. And there was only one product, really. And that was the classic 999 Spotify premium. Uh, but we fairly soon launched a student tier, uh, a... Uh, family plan and so on. So a lot of work around how those different products would cannibalize our own users or will they complement our own, you know, the subscriber base. Will we, essentially, will we, will we eat our own lunch or, or will someone else do it for us? So you switch the metadata to playlists, songs, stop yes, listening after X seconds. Time, time becomes like two minutes, three minutes. When Queen is being uh, uh, played, maybe 10 minutes. 
Yeah, yeah. We did a lot of those fun little experiments because we had all this metadata about you know when songs are being streamed. We we could basically detect when a local football team had won a game because the We Are the Champions song would spike in that region when that happened. And so on. there was a lot of these kind of fun things you could do. Uh, on the other hand, we, we were quite limited by, by our capabilities. I think we had, we used to at least tell ourselves that we had the world's largest Hadoop cluster at the time to, to process all this data. Uh, that doesn't mean it was very fast for the kinds of queries or the kinds of analysis we tried to do. And that, that's why I said it's, it's like, it was like going back in time. I had just helped, helped our team at Google migrate off of Tenzing. And now we come back to an, a Hadoop cluster where people are still writing MapReduce jobs in Python. And progress. <laughs> <laughs> so, but you know, the years you spent at Spotify, those were years of, of crazy growth, right? How, how, how did the scale, the increase in scale feel like from your end? Uh, yeah, it was pretty intense. We, we must have gone from six, seven hundred to five, six thousand employees over those uh, four years or five years, maybe. Scaling was, was pretty intense, and in, in particular around the analytics team. And I think analytics and data engineering were some of the areas that really had to scale and scale pretty fast. Um, and in, that, in this time span, we also moved from this massive Hadoop cluster uh, into uh, the Google Cloud uh, world of, of data services. And well, basically every service we're running on, on GCP eventually. Did you guys move uh, uh, completely to GCP or was it sort of, uh, did you have things in AWS uh, side by side? I know there were a few things still running on AWS um, and the Hadoop, it, took, it took a while to properly kill off the Hadoop cluster. But uh, yeah, I think the, the, the end goal is uh, everything was moved into GCS. So from 1 to 10, how much do you miss the Hadoop days? <laughs> What uh, I, I can sometimes I, I have this kind of romantic view of these MapReduce jobs we used to write. I love just going really deep and optimizing the combiners and and you know figuring out how to avoid an unnecessary shuffle step between jobs and stuff like that. I kind of miss that. I also don't miss that because it was taking way too much of my time. Uh, but you know, it, it gives you this opportunity to feel really smart about the work you're doing. Yeah, and now you look at uh, the younglings of today who don't have to worry about these things. They, exactly. they have it's, it all, it's all just drag and drop these things, right? <laughs> Clicking boxes. And... Okay, so, so you spent a fair amount of time at Google, at Spotify, you know, learning uh, how to work with the world, some of the world's most complex uh, uh, systems and, and, and data sets. And then you went on to the startup world, right? Moved to, to FinTech. Moved so... to FinTech to think. Uh, they had just recently, this, this was back in 2019 or early 2020, they had just done a pivot from being this business to consumer personal finance management application. Um, they had kind of been a driving force in creating the, the whole world of like open banking, forcing banks to open up APIs. Uh, long story short, Tink started fetching data from banks closed APIs before there was a mandate whether banks had to open up or not. And the banks deemed it was probably legal, then the courts realized, realized, no, it's not illegal, it's perfectly legal. And we're actually going to create these mandates that forces banks to open up APIs. Tink was really early in that journey, but we're building mostly their own application. Uh, when I joined, the, the company completely pivoted into becoming this platform as a service or API as a service that kind of unbundled the app functionality and features and sold them off to other fintechs and sold them off to other banks. Uh, so we did things like, well, connecting to bank accounts and fetching all the data so that you can do various analysis, risk analysis, or, or, or actually building personal finance management. 
Uh, we were categorizing transactions using using various uh, AI machine learning models to figure out, you know, all these all these line items on your on your balance sheet or on your transaction sheet. What what are they actually? Uh, which is a surprisingly hard problem because the banks don't include much data in those transaction lines. It's usually like just mumbo jumbo when you try to read it. Sometimes you can read like an MCD and figure out it's probably a McDonald's transaction, but that's basically all you get. And, and so the analytics stack there was part of the product. The services the clients were consuming went through uh, your stack. Yeah, so the, the, the entire backend of Tink is a data platform in a way, and it's completely homegrown. It, it's, def- it's using things like Kafka and S3 and, and Cassandra and various databases, but it's all focused on productionizing data access to customers. Uh, what I was in charge of building there was really this, okay, this kind of data warehouse where we could learn ourselves how are our products actually being used, you know, instrumenting everything from event collection so that we know what our systems are doing to how our customers are using our systems. Um, and also some batch processing to, to get the data back out of Cassandra because Cassandra is not a very nice place to run massive queries over. Can you walk us through so so you know the different teams in charge of the, the different data deliverables? You run you know the analytics department. There's data engineering, engineering around it. How all you guys? How do all of you interact uh, in terms of responsibilities around the data platform and stack? Yeah. So so when I was at uh, when I was still at Tink, I was heading up both the the data engineering side and the product analytics side. Most of the analytics we did was product focused. Um, and the most of the data engineering we did was focused on getting this, you know, met- metric data, getting data out of the platform that allowed us to do analysis, uh, create KPIs and metrics and so on. Um, we were, of course, leveraging a lot of the infrastructure that other teams were building at the company. So the data engineers were heavily dependent on our infrastructure team that managed not one, but I think 11 Kubernetes clusters in various AWS and on-prem and so on instances to provide to create these environments where we could that, that we provided out to our customers uh, it, it was an extremely complex setup and a complex environment um, but we yeah we the, the data engineering team had to figure out ways to kind of standardize how we source data from all these different systems and how we put them in a in a unified like data warehouse model and what did the data stack look like what data warehouse did you guys use and, and what was around it yes yeah, so the f- for most of the data, for, for much of the data, we were kind of bound to using uh, the AW, like AWS tooling. So we were using S3 and Athena. Uh, we tried a little bit of Redshift and so on on that. Uh, but for the data where we had de-anonymized it, or sorry, not de-anonymized, actually anonymized it, taken out any sensitive bits of information, we moved a lot of that over to Google Cloud. Uh, to, to use that to power things like interactive dashboards, uh, metric collection. Uh, we even used that to power the, the developer console where we feed some of these metrics back to our developers that were building stuff on the platform. So, you know, in, in retrospect, you spent a fair amount of time uh, there to think building that. Uh, you know, what would you have done differently if you were to restart that entire journey? What, what lessons uh, learned? What, what could have been avoided? What could have been avoided? So much pain could have been avoided. I think the what, what took the most time uh, was to figure out kind of which data are we allowed to do what with? Because you have to realize Tink as a 
data subprocessor on the GDPR doesn't really own the data that flows through the platform. It's, it's processed there on behalf of someone else. And at the end of the day, it's on behalf of the, of the end user, the, the, the person's actual financial data this is. Um, so we need to make sure that the data we look at and analyze is only metadata about whether or not someone has aggregated data, not, not the actual aggregated data. Uh, and I think if I were to start this over again, we should have created much, much clearer vocabulary around this really early on in the process, because we, we could have just avoided so many backs and forth uh, discussing security and anonymization and legal if we would have just said, you know, this data is metadata about how, how Tink services are being used. We don't even need to bring that into the discussion and we could have limited the scope drastically. Um, and we could have probably been more proactive in how we set up uh, contracts with customers to allow that. Um, but yeah, so, so at the end of the day, I think there, there's more, there would have been, uh, we would have made better progress if we would have been more upfront uh, with, with figuring out what are the different classes of data and the different use cases we have of that data and realized that we don't have to enforce the strictest restrictions on all of it. Because what, what, what you do when, you, when there's uncertainty and unclarity in this case, what you do is you apply the strictest rules across all the data. Um, and that kind of also limits what you can do with the data. And it creates a lot of headaches for you know, people trying to do stuff that we have designed that you, sh you can't do for, for good reason. And then you try to approximate or you try to not, not necessarily sidestep, not, not necessarily work yourself through limits and barriers, but you try to create proxies to kind of try to make an estimate of, of a metric uh, that you actually could have probably just queried if we had clearer, clearer uh, delineation between what data we, what data is sensitive, which data is not sensitive. Yeah, I guess, you know, that's not the kind of thing you thought uh, would be critical to your work when you first started off at Google. You thought one day I'll be regretting not having planned enough, not having thought about uh, what data I am allowed to keep and whatnot. Uh, but it's true. At the end of the day, these things make the entire difference uh, project with a lot of headache or less. Yeah, absolutely. Then there was a lot of good things we, we did there. One thing we did is we kind of more or less killed off the notion of raw data uh, because with the with the kind of idea that there, there is there is no such thing as raw data. We're not like pumping raw and crude oil out of the ground and then we have to refine it. Data is something that we control and that we create. Uh, and yeah, we could have probably created crude oil and then we would have created a process to refine it. But uh, instead we decided let's, let's create nice tabular data with strictly enforced schemas and contracts from the get-go. Uh, and that, that of course, like, you know, a big chunk of our data engineering work, we, we just never had to do because the data that streamed in from all these other services uh, were already pretty clean uh, when it came to. That's an interesting philosophy that uh, I never heard anybody articulate that well, but saying, you know, data essentially, yeah, it's not born out of a vacuum. And we, it's not. We, we, yeah. it, it's our system. It's our source code that creates the data. Why would we create ugly data? Uh, and I think one of the reasons why you would create ugly data is because you created it for a different purpose. Like you, you created this data because it's a log record that you want to feed into Logstash and do debugging, right? Uh, and it's, it, it, we, we had this, it's, it's, this, this alert when you set up this system, uh, you, you're like, either we try to build something brand new or we go with what we already have and we try to retrofit uh, like a data platform on top of this Logstash uh, data that we had available to us. 
Uh, and thanks to thanks to our lead data engineer at the time, Magnus, who had spent many years also at Spotify and other companies in the past, he was heavily advising against trying to retrofit and, and repurpose that log data and actually, no, let's build a service that we speak through with with, with you know protobuf schemas uh, and and contractually like sound data, and then we stay in control of that data throughout the whole chain. So you know the mess the. The message maybe is, you know, let's not be victims of our raw data. Let's, let's take control. <laughs> we can actually change it. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't even go near the raw data. If you have the opportunity to say, no, let's let's build a parallel system that creates nice data, do that instead, I think. It's time to question your raw data. Awesome. <laughs> um, so tell us about our capital. So, you know, then you decided to join, like you said, your former boss at, at Spotify. Uh, what do you guys do uh, at our capital? What's the mission there. Yeah, so so it, it's really twofold. Uh, and I'm obviously mostly excited about the data part of this. So I might not, you know, give the, the most uh, flamboyant or elaborate description of the other. But I'll, I'll start with 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 the quotation mark boring part, uh, which is we're, we're lending money to companies to finance growth and fi- finance, uh, yeah, finance tech companies, uh, and other like modern modern companies. Um, we do this as an alternative to bringing in, say, venture capital. Uh, and the idea is um, y- your current options as a company looking for capital for growth is really either to you, either you have assets or you have some other security that you can use to get a loan. Um, or you go to venture capital and you give away part of your company in exchange for that fine funding that you need to grow. Um and both of those have a place. Uh, you know, if you if you have, if you if you own property or buildings or whatever, go to the bank and get a loan on those. Uh, if you're gonna do some, if your business is not proven, you don't have, uh, you, you may not have found product market fit and so on. Go to venture capital; they're perfect with handling that risk. That's exactly what they're expert at. Uh, but then we see all these other companies that are. They might be too new or they might not be too established enough to really go to the bank and get money, uh, but they might have also very predictable growth. They know that for every $10 they spend on marketing, they get $25 back in terms of sales. If you're in that position, you don't necessarily want to give away your company to a venture capitalist either. Um, and that's that's kind of where we come in. Uh, the reason they don't go to the bank is the bank don't have access to the information, really. They, they, they can look at your annual reports from a couple of years ago. If you're a fast-growing company, that's not going to work out. It's really hard to model this in Excel in a way that you know allows you to really understand what's going on. And that's where ARC's data platform comes in. So most of these modern companies, they're building, they're building their organizations on SaaS uh, platforms. You know, a, a modern e-commerce company is built on Shopify or Instacart or any other of those services. They do their advertising on, on Facebook with Facebook ads or uh, Google AdWords. Um, they, they do their bookkeeping in Xero and so on. And we connect into all of these systems. We're using Fivetran and Airbyte and other services to connect straight to these systems and, ca- and get the source data. Uh, then we apply models. So we have years and years of experience in business analysis. Henrik comes from, from a VC firm before, before joining ARC. Um, and, you, you know, the rest of us are quite seasoned analysts. We, we can analyze the business performance using all these different data from all these different sources. And we apply machine learning and we do forecasting to try to really get an idea on where this company is heading. And based off of that, we can really tailor the financing option to that company. 
Um, so, so what we, we we call it precision financing, where we we learn so much about the company from these sources, and that that hence we can tailor financing solutions to them. But in order for us to kind of digest this all this data and all this information, we're also building really cool dashboards for ourselves that we're also providing back to our customers. So we're really building like a, a turnkey solution where where you you connect your data and we give you a best in class like business dashboard with KPIs and forecasts and LTV models and all of that nice stuff that all the big players already have. Um, so I think of it a bit of an analogy when you're buying data tools these days, you buy a data warehouse, you, you, know, you, you, you spin it up and it's empty. Uh, or you buy Looker and, and you, you get this dashboarding solution and you open it for the first time and you're greeted with a blank empty page, uh, which I think is a quite boring way to buy data products. Ideally, more and more products in the future, I hope, will be like turnkey. You know, you you buy the product, you authenticate it to get your data, and then you open it, and there is an actual dashboard there already. So this is, in essence, you know, you're entering our capital with a blank slate. So how how share? Please share. How do you go about implementing, you know, the analytics stack uh, with your experience, but now having the complete freedom of choice? <laughs> yeah, with the complete freedom of choice, we're, we're many of us in this company that have a lot of experience on GCP. So we've decided to to we, we're going with GCP. Um, then we have all these low hanging fruit. There's all these kind of companies that help make our lives easier. One of them is DBT. Um, I've built tooling that works pretty much like DBT several times before, but it's quite nice to just install it, get it off the shelf. Um, we we get Fivetran uh, and Airbyte, which allows us to connect to all these different APIs. So we're basically, you know, collecting these different softwares that helps us kind of do our job. Uh, but we're also taking quite a lot of time to figure out exactly how that platform is going to look like. We, there are so many things that we still haven't decided on. Um, for instance, orchestr- or- orchestration. Uh, one of my one of our big headaches. I've heard it on this podcast too. People talking about how much time they're spending just managing an airflow instance or trying to upgrade it and so on. Uh, trying to figure out what, what is the kind of what is the modern way of doing orchestration uh, of of all these different data pipelines because. Our complexity doesn't really lie in the volumes of data, it's the diversity of data. We, we're fetching it from hundreds of platforms for hundreds or potentially thousands of customers. Uh, and we can't really, as a colleague told me yesterday who had been working uh, at Spotify with similar problems in the past, you know, we can't really take a representative of Google Analytics and put them in the room with one from Mixpanel and tell them to start aligning the, their data models or, hey guys, can you please start defining MEU the same way? Let's join everything together. Yeah, let's join everything together. Can, can't you guys just agree what the daily active user is so I don't have to kind of show the diverging definitions of the same data? Um, so there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of complexity that stems from just the fact that all the data is different, comes from various sources. And yeah, the, the complexity is, is, is hard to grasp, actually. How do you imagine things looking a year from now down the road? What? What you, do you want to look at back with pride having built? A year from now, I really, really want as much as possible to be you know, automated. And we have this idea that you know, a customer that comes to us and opens their dashboard for the first time and sees their metric, they're kind of blown away by, by how rich it is and the insights they're getting. Um, 
we're currently achieving that, but with quite a bit of manual labor in between. And I mean, creating good good visualizations of data or standardizing it, it's a craft uh, and it's quite hard to, to automate and, uh, and, and do that at scale. Uh, so I'm really hoping that a year from now, you know, someone can go, just goes in, connects their data to, to our platform and they're more or less immediately blown away by, by, by the insight that they're able to get and hopefully recognizing the numbers they see in our platform from what they have in their own spreadsheets and so Awesome, awesome. This was great. Uh, Jens, really appreciate it. Yes. It was great talking to you. Super interesting, amazing journey, amazing challenges uh, in the past and amazing challenges you're working on right now. Uh, And thanks again. So we've launched just a few months ago. Uh, We're growing quite nicely, right? How many views do we have? Very happy. I think we've got like thousands, right? Yes, yes. Yeah. Not bad, but we want more. Want if more. you like this, yes. help us spread the love. Yes. If you don't like that, spread you know. Vote for replacing for me. me for someone else. Uh, That's fine. And you know, we promise to try our best to keep bringing you're amazing, you boss. The data people from the most interesting data companies. So subscribe, make our mama proud. Yes. Help us out. Love you, mom. <laughs>